Dream Reality New Earth Radio, reminding you that the choice is yours. I'm Dr. Dream with my co-host, Ilya Nabatovsky. And now, on with the show. year 2011 and I am Dr. Dream and this is my co-host and I am Ilya Nabutovsky. Welcome. Ilya, how are you? I'm actually, you know, I'm fantastic and I know I say um, fantastic and awesome and beautiful and perfect many times but, you know, that's just the way that I am and I can't help it. So, Brother, I am fantastic. How are you? Well, you know you've been talking to me for about the last hour here. I'm I'm here in Los Angeles. You're there in New York in Brooklyn. Um making my way from Ventura down to Orange County. I am right now looking at Manhattan Beach Pier. I'm looking at surfers, waves, the sun is out, people are enjoying themselves. Um, I was passed by 15 police cars chasing a minivan through <laughs> through bumper to bumper traffic on the 405. I mean, it just keeps getting a little crazier all the time, but but I'm loving it. And the important thing is, I'm here and you're here. Yes, and that's really all that counts. Now, um, I know that you have just come back from an amazing experience. Um, it was the orange vortex. Now, tell us uh, how that went. Well, it was an exceptional, again, you know, the words just seem to fall a little bit short. It was truly an exceptional uh, four days. We we got out there on Thursday night in the Mojave Desert, and this being the middle of July, um, it's hot in the Mojave Desert. But... Um, we ended up with over 500 people camping wow. in the desert for between three and four days, music nonstop. DJ started at 5, five o'clock on Friday morning and ended at about 7 o'clock Monday morning. And in the middle of all that, on Saturday, there was a one-hour break in the music, and we did ceremony. I don't know how many hundreds of people um, were there at the ceremony, but, uh, you know, man, I, yeah. Uh, the, the, words, the, the words really do fail me because I looked out at the most amazing faces. Now, realize, I'm standing there up in front of the, the DJ booth looking out. We've got... The, the crystal grid altar set up. People have been dancing nonstop um, all day in the heat, all night in the cool breeze under the full moon for like two days at that point, and we do ceremony. Unbelievable. Wow. I actually just 
saw your uh, picture on Facebook with your uh, beautiful citrine generator crystal um, surrounded by all these other beautiful things, and the altar was just incredible. How did that all even come together? Well, i got to tell you, um, the Electric Cocoon uh, crew that puts the, the Vortex parties on, and they're only doing one more Vortex party, uh, November 11th, 11, 11, 11, they're doing Rainbow Vortex because they've gone through all the – the vortexes are chakras. So Orange Vortex is Orange Chakra, which is the second chakra, sacral chakra. And so they've gone through all the chakras now. And so the last party is going to be this um, rainbow vortex. Uh, I'm not going to be there because I'll be on El, Mirad El, <laughs> El Mirador in uh, Guatemala doing a ceremony with 17 other people um, for the 11-11-11. Uh, for the but um, then the next round of electric cocoon parties will start um, next year, and they are promising to be... Incredible, and just as a little teaser, it will have something to do directly with ascension steps in in our process of evolution. Each party will uh, be that. So it's it's outrageous um, the types of events and activities that are going on right now, and the consciousness that um, that people are bringing to all of this is is really. I mean, in my in my from my perspective, this is this is over the top, um, and it's taking like this orange vortex. I, I keep refraining from calling it a party, and I keep calling it an event because five years ago it would have been a party with people just getting out of their minds in the desert and not very conscious and not very aware, and and this weekend, orange vortex the event had aspects of people allowing themselves to to move into um, their consciousness and to experience a greater awareness of, of all that really is. And, yeah, there was a lot of journeying and, and all sorts of really amazing experiences out there for all of us. But the bottom line, and I've been um, I've been on Facebook a little bit today, looking at uh, the comments and everything. The bottom line is this: this was another one of those events that's that's a life changer. And I'm not I'm not um, I'm not thinking that you know oh well Dr. Dream's involved in this that it's it's a life changer. I think there were probably hundreds, thousands of life changing events going on this weekend. I think it has to do with the time uh, right now for people. So um, absolutely, and you know what I really, what I really love is that you know now the people, especially in the conscious communities, are actually beginning to um, you know go to these events and actually um, have ceremonies, and people are living in ceremony more and more. You know, the more I travel and see people waking up, um, I just I, I really understand that, you know, everything is becoming very ceremonial. Yeah, absolutely. And and this event where music was the, the main focus, um, there's a group of us coming together now talking about doing a, a four-day event in the desert where music is not the main focus. Ceremony is 
the main focus and um and that's uh that's awesome and then there's then there's music and so um this is going to be an interesting sort of juxtaposition but but this is what's happening right now just in our in our experience and and the way things are are um unfolding and the the ninth wave of the mind calendar and the planetary alignments and the prophecies and everything else it's it's not a party anymore um it is because yeah this is absolutely meant to be the most blissful fun ever but but it's not about the party anymore it is about the ceremony it is about being um really mindful of what we're there for so absolutely pretty amazing Pretty yes, amazing. and I, I absolutely am with you and riding that same wave of consciousness and high vibration, um, you know, you being all the way on the other side of the country, and um, it's just amazing because now I can actually experience the, uh, the light workers on, in New York City, which I haven't been able to contact up until a few days ago um, where I attended a channeling circle, and I met this beautiful woman who has all these beautiful connections, and the synchronicities just never stop. I love it. Special times. It is amazing what is showing up and available to us now. And, you know, this is it. This is, you know, it's like this conscious awareness of, hey, this is what we came here for, people. So uh, let's step up to the plate and, uh, you know, really recognize what our role is in what is happening. And this pretty much brings us to our guest tonight, don't you think? Absolutely. And now is the perfect time to introduce her. So, my brother, why don't you take it away? Well, our guest this evening on the show is Linda Starwolf, and she's been a visionary teacher and shamanic guide to thousands of people over the last 35 years. She's the founder and co-director of Venus Rising Association for Transformation. It's a, an official nonprofit organization, and she's also the founder and president of Venus Rising University for Shamanic Psycho-Spiritual Studies. And... Um, <laughs> She's based in North Carolina, and it is absolutely my honor and my pleasure to uh, welcome uh, Linda Starwolf to the show. Starwolf, are you with us? I am. Thank awesome. you. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. I'm here in the mountains of western North Carolina, and it's a beautiful, balmy evening up here, and um, and it's just... Um, these are indeed magical times wherever we are. You know, the mountains here in western North Carolina, the Cherokee people here say that they are the oldest and wisest beings on the planet because it is the oldest mountain range in the world. And um, oh, wow. sometimes people will say, how can that be? Because they're, you know, they're not as tall as the Rockies or the Andes where I just came from a couple of weeks ago. But the reason they're not as high is because they're the oldest and they're more worn down. So they're smoother and rounder and more forested and, you know, and have all of the different um, plants and animals here. So um, they're the oldest beings on the planet. 
I love it. And you, you, how long have you guys been set up in that area? We've been here for eight years. We moved here uh, from the Bay Area in California about a, a little over eight years ago and decided to come to these mountains. It was through inner guidance that we were directed to move here and to open a re- up a retreat center called Isis Cove Retreat Center. And before that, I had been traveling for many years around the country and internationally, doing a lot of workshops, lots of training, and we still do that. But we were always at somebody else's retreat center, and we decided to, to create our own. So we're here in the mountains, and we looked several places, but when we came here, we knew instantly this is where we were supposed to be. And it's interesting because after we got here, we you know, we didn't know anything except we were supposed to come here and check it out, and then we just felt the energies, and this is where we were supposed to be. And we're right next to Cherokee, in between Cherokee and Asheville. A lot of people know Asheville, North Carolina. and um, But we didn't know the history of the mountains here. We didn't know they were the oldest mountain range. We didn't know all the other spiritual communities that were here. And after we were back here, we found out that the most, um, the amount of intentional communities of all kinds, ecological, Buddhist, just all different kinds of communities are in North Carolina. We had no idea. And so we were definitely called to be here. Oh, and I'm sure of it because I so felt that as I read about everything that you have going on now. Now tell us, you're not alone. You have a, you have your partner there, and and even then, the two of you are not alone there. Right, uh, my partner Brad Collins. Uh, we're co-directors of Venus Rising, and I heard you say that already. We're a nonprofit, and um, we started out. Um, as a small, doing kind of small workshops with small groups and then doing trainings. And then we created the Shamanic Breathwork Training Program, which is a form of breathwork that came through me. And we've been doing that for about 14 years. And prior to that, I had um, been with other forms of breathwork for 15 years. So I've been doing breathwork for a very long time. And when we came here, we thought, well, we'd come here and create a small retreat center and, then, you know, this is, what we would be doing. But what happened is after we got here and we, I don't like to say bought the land because I don't think you can buy land. I think land chooses you. We became stewards of this um, beautiful piece of land in, the, in, the, in a cove back in the, the mountains. Our friends came and visited and as they would come, and we have people who are acupuncturists and tantric teachers and social workers and um, counselors and <clears throat> astrologers, all kinds of folks came and they would say, you know, do you have some land that we could purchase and become a steward of? So we ended up selling off parcels of the land so that people could create their own homes. We have somebody that has a very large three-story round home. We have somebody else who has a, a small cob, um, you, know, um, the, you know, the stone cob houses. So people have all kinds, you know, hers looks like a hobbit house. Somebody else's looks almost like a castle. So in North Carolina, you can do that. There's not a lot of zoning. So, but in, it's just really interesting. We have this village of really unique people and unique homes, and they are all healers and teachers. So we, we, you know, people say, "Oh, you're an intentional community," and we laugh and we go, "No, we're an unintentional intentional community." And, uh, <laughs> Beautiful. It, 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 yeah, you know, it's just people who love each other, love doing planetary work, uh, who've known each other 
you know, through the circles and who wanted to come together. And, and I said, you know, we're not, a, I'm, I'm not knocking it, but we're not a golf community or a tennis community. We're a shamanic community. And um, so, and then, of course, we have, because we, you know, have come together, we've created some beautiful things for people to do. We have a wonderful, beautiful medicine wheel um, that was created um, by our community along with Wind Daughter, <coughs> excuse me, Wind Daughter, who a lot of people know, who's a, a worldwide teacher and also uh, a carrier of um, Sun Bear uh, uh, medicine and was one of his main people uh, that he worked with and taught. And uh, she carries some of his, as it's called, bundles and, and work. And she came and we built this beautiful um, medicine wheel there that each each stone weighs about 2,000 pounds. So it's a very large uh, stones in the wheel. They're very powerful. As the Native people would say, they are the ancestors, the grandmothers and grandfathers. So people journey with these um, ancestors. And we have um, what we call a fire temple. We have a beautiful um, fire arch that lights up and has propane gas in it and it shoots out flames out of the top of it. Uh, a, a good friend who has um, helped create installations for Burning Man created it, and uh, so that we have firewalks and things through there. And we have up on the top of the mountain this um, um, large deck that can hold around 75 people. It's almost a 360 looking out over the mountains, and we do mm. uh, star teachings up there and journeys and various things and. Anyway, we have a lot of things. We have a, an art barn, and we have a sanctuary, and we're creating more things as we go along. We've only been there eight years, and we have a whole community and more people coming. So it's really an incredible space. And having said that, we do go out some. We have been actually teaching in Sedona for the last, um, regularly, about once every once every two or three months, a training group in Sedona. Um, for the last year, and our last segment is in September. And it will be our fifth or sixth time there in about a year. So, anyway, nice. so we, now, we have a lot of people there who uh, at Isis Cove who uh, are well-known teachers and healers as well. well let me ask you, I, I want us to, to backtrack um, with your history a little bit. Um Something changed for you about 30, 35 years ago. Is that right? You want to kind of tap us into to where you've come from because you've got a fascinating story. Well, you know, I, I've told this story a lot, and I'm always happy to share it. But um, And I was actually, I have two grandsons who are eight and nine who are just now really tuning in and wanting to know about my story. And um, they're really getting more interested in, in you know, what what makes me a little bit different from their other grandmothers? <laughs> they actually have four now. So, um, and in uh, in this area, a lot of people call their grandmothers Mammy, and so they call me uh, sometimes Shamami uh, for the shaman and for the shamanic energy. But anyway, um, I grew up in Western Kentucky, and I had a grandmother who was. Um, a very close to the earth and very related to animals and nature. And that was a big part of my childhood. I was an only child, and I spent most of my time in nature, quite frankly, and with my grandmother. I tell people um, we, when I was small, we didn't have 
uh, indoor plumbing, um, running water, you know, and we were very close to, to nature. And um, I, that was my world, and I felt very tuned in uh, to what many people are tuning into now with trees, with the stones, with the animals, being able, my grandmother taught me to talk to the animals, to nature, those kinds of things, and um, to see into the spirit world. And I don't know if I was born that way or if that was my grandmother's um, influence or a combination there. She saw it in me and she cultivated it in me because she was very much that way, whereas the rest of my family was not, except for a, a distant cousin. And she died rather suddenly when I was 12. And when that happened, I was um, really, in some ways, I've been pretty protected and it was fairly, you know, in, innocent um, in many ways, much more so than the other kids around me. And uh, had been kind of kept in that um, innocent state and still believing in magic and, and seeing into the other worlds and that sort of thing. And after she died, I went into a very deep depression. And um, at that time, you know, my mother said to me, you know, now she said, if we had known, we would have taken you and gotten help. But I'm really, in some ways, very glad that they didn't because maybe I would have gotten a diagnosis and been put on drugs, I don't know. Um, but what happened instead was that it was, the, you know, it was right in the middle of the 60s as I entered into adolescence. And like a lot of people in the 60s, I was very involved in a lot of things that were going on. There were a lot of wonderful things going on. There were also, there was also, uh, it was like we'd finally been let out of a cage and all the repression and restrictions were gone. And so um, with my own I guess you could say vulnerability, my own innocence, and at the same time my own kind of disillusionment um, and hurt that my grandmother had died and a feeling in some way that God or the Creator had let me down in some way by taking away. It felt like the only person that I felt understood me and didn't think that there was anything wrong with me because I often heard from people that I had an overactive imagination, that I was too sensitive and those kinds of things and didn't believe in the things that I would say. Or if I, or if they did believe in the things and they would see them happen, then it would scare them. And, you know, there was a whole group of girls in the seventh grade that decided I was evil and a witch. And so um, it was. this was, um, you know, it was very traumatic for me. So I discovered that, um, like many of the young people at that time, experimenting with all the uh, substances that were available to us, that I could... Um, you know, find a way out of my pain and find a way to relate to other people. And it was through that process several things happened. First of all, the psychedelic experimentation really blew me back open because I had started to shut down all of that down and my grandmother wasn't there. And so it really blew me back open um, and I was having very intense experiences. And at the same time, because I was doing a whole variety of substances, by the time I was, um, you know, a teenager, mid-teenager, late teenager, I had become addicted to many of those substances. In my 20s, right about the time I hit my uh, first Saturn return, I had, um, well, let me back up just a little bit. Uh, right before I hit my 20th birthday, I overdosed on drugs. And at that time, I had a near-death experience. And... It really was one of those things where I was on a table and I could feel myself lifting off and looking back at myself from this very cold, very sterile room and seeing these 
people around me, um, I guess nurses and doctors, and hearing them say, I don't think she's going to make it. And I was looking back and I was thinking, how, you know, what's wrong with them? Can't they see that I'm okay? I'm fine. And then the next moment after that, it was a whirling sound, a swishing sound, like a, um, um, like a, um, like a fan. And then it felt like I was swirling into a light. And I experienced that briefly. And the next thing I knew, I was unconscious. And I think it was about a day or two later that I finally woke up. It, from that point on, there was a part of me that just didn't come back for a while. And it took me about a year to get back. And I think I was around 20 or 21 then. And from that there on, I completely stopped doing, um, you know, psychedelics or any other kind of uh, recreational drugs. But I continued to drink alcohol. It actually helped calm me. I was so anxious from um, all that I had experienced. I didn't know how to integrate it. I didn't have the teachers to teach me. Um, And I really started to do a lot of being self-taught at that point. I had this one psychic cousin, distant cousin, uh, who was my mother's age, and she was very concerned about me. And she brought me every book there was at that time, honestly. This is, I'm a 58, so this is 38 years ago long time ago. There weren't mm-hmm. that many books out, but she was reading everything on Edgar Casey and everything on Easter Island and astral projection and all these things. And I started reading all these books and I started recognizing myself that this was me. And yet there wasn't anyone that I knew that I could talk to uh, except my, my cousin uh, who was kind of like the town psychic, a little western Kentucky. And during this time, um, it's, it's a weird combination, you know, because we don't travel a linear path. It's a spiral path. And there's many things happening all at once. Here I am, um, you know, drinking more and more and beginning to develop a problem with drinking because I'm trying to self-medicate my anxiety. And at the same time, I'm reading all this spiritual uh, literature. I'm having these powerful experiences. I'm having out-of-body experiences. I'm wondering if I'm crazy. Uh, all these kinds of things. So I I don't know if I'm answering your question exactly, but right at this time, this really amazing thing happened. I got hired by the mental health center to work with people who were having psychotic breaks. And and I was, uh, I think I was either 21, barely 21, I think. And so here I am, myself feeling like a complete mess, and yet I'm getting up and going into work every morning into the mental health system. And at that time, you didn't even have to have a degree. If you were just were willing to work with people who were diagnosed as having schizophrenia or manic depression illness, they would hire you. Because they just started the um, de-hospitalization movement, de-institutionalization movement, and they put people out on the streets. So anybody that would work with individuals who had those diagnoses, they would hire. And um, they hired me. And I found that I had a a, um, a really good skill at working with these individuals. It was like I understood what was going on. And the um, it's really interesting that the even the psychiatrist would take me aside and say, can you tell me what's going on with this person? They understood that I had a natural ability to work with them. And mm. I op- often say that I learned as much from them as they ever did from me. But I w- ended up working in the mental health system for about 10 years 
with all kinds of population people, but that was my first real entry into working the world of psychology. I later on went back and got degrees, but prior to that, it was just basically off the street. And um, But through that incarnation, you can just hear all the different experiences that I had. Here I am um, drinking too much at night, going to work during the day, working with people who are seriously mentally ill, listening to them, working with them, getting a sense of who they are, and actually being effective in working with um, people that people said you can't work with. They, you know, that you just have to kind of maintain. And I found that not to be true. And so there was a way in which I was kind of a prodigy in the mental health system that I was working in. Did and, you find um, it um, sort of uh, limiting because you knew so oh, yes. much out of the conventional realm? Um, how, how did you deal with that? Because, I mean, you stayed within the system for quite a number of years. Right. Well, it's interesting. You know, I like I said before, it, that the movement during that time was to get people out of institutions, back into their communities, back in, uh, back with their families, or in uh, what the only other place they could put them was nursing homes, and then send them out during the day to mental health systems, which were day treatment programs. And that's what I was working in. I was working in a day treatment program where they would come in the morning at ten, be there to two or three, and my my role was to help them to cook, to help them to learn how to sew buttons on their clothes, um, to talk with one another, to have conversations, to not act bizarre, um, to uh, try to manage their uh, hallucinations, their paranoia, all those kinds of things. Um, Medication groups, because they were heavily medicating people at that time. Um, And, you know, I would hear them um, say things to me like, you know, the medication makes me grow horns or the medication makes me, you know, this or that or whatever. And I begin to be able to interpret that it felt that the body sensations in their bodies and different things that was going on. So it was interesting, even though, you know, I worked very closely with the psychiatrist and the nurse and the social workers at that time, and they just saw me as kind of a, a you know, a, a young girl who, um, you know, was a, a hippie who had, um, come through a drug overdose and who was, um, you know, uh, kind of cute and smart, but, you know, and was good with the patients. I think that's how they looked at it at first. And then after they saw some things, like they would tell me things, you know, you can't do this with the patients, and then I would do it. Or, well, they won't do this, or this person won't do that, or whatever. And then I'd end up being able to do yeah. that with the person. They begin to respect me, and, you know, I remember this the psychiatrist, Dr. Roselle, took me aside and he said, you have a special ability to work with people who are in altered states. And, you know, and I remember sharing with him what had happened to me, some things that happened to me, and he said, well, you have a gift. And he said, you know, so just keep doing what you're doing. But then he also said to me, but don't get caught. <laughs> and that was kind of the, you know, the military, how it's been, don't ask, you know, don't tell. Right, right. That's that's really the way it was in the mental health system. I was forever doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing, you know. But they let you, they let you do it as long as you were low-key? As long as I was low-key, low key, as long as I didn't get found out. I rem- you know, after I worked with the chronic mental health for a while and I went back and I got a degree in human services, then I started doing just case management for um, women who've been sexually abused, for people who are, depra- you know, 
the normal people, so to speak, the uh, people who've been depressed, people who have anxiety, you know, different things. I was later on in my um, late 20s, early 30s, and, you know, I would have people, in, and by now I've, I've been, you know, I've read the Ascended Masters, I'm doing creative visualization, and, I, you know, I'm closing the door to my office, I'm, um, you know, I'm gently guiding people. Um, who otherwise would never have done these kind of things into closing their eyes. I'm lighting a candle. I'm telling them to take a deep breath to tell me what they, a message they get from their heart or from an image they get in their consciousness. You know, this is old hat. Now everybody does this. But at that time, um, especially in the area that I lived in, um, I mean, there were people who truly thought that it was satanic and to meditate. And if you did that, the devil was going to get in. And, um, So I was doing this work with people, and it was working, and they were loving it. And I remember one day um, the director marched down the hall and banged on my door and opened it, and I had a candle burning, and I had a little bit of soft meditative music going on, and I had a person sitting on the floor doing breathing, and he, you know, he was not happy. (laughs) And he, 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 he just said, you know, when you're finished with your session, I want to see you. And so I finished, and... You know, and then I went down to see him, and he just said to me, you know, first of all, I just want to tell you, you've done a great job. The patients love you. Their families love you. Uh, people are staying out of the hospital. They're doing better. But you can't keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Surprise. But I'm like, I think they call this a mixed message. <laughs> right. But you must have had yeah. an idea that at some at some point, the stuff was going to hit the fan just because yeah. of how different you were from the system. I yeah, I was. You know, they I worked I went to I always like to change around and work with different people after a year or two I'd like to work with a different group and there was a wonderful group of adolescents that you know were that were they were being sent away basically to prison. Uh you know, they call it, you know, hospitalization or detention, but it really is prison for kids that just are quote out of control. Mainly, a lot of the kids are ADD. A lot of them come from, you know, uh, abuse and addiction and lots of things. And so I wanted to work with those kids for a while, and I, and I went in to do that and started a center in the downtown for them. And, you know, I started doing, at that time, I had started doing on the side, I started training to do breath work. And I was uh, doing breath workshops for people. I couldn't do it in the mental health system or in the treatment center that I worked in um, because you just had to be, you know, by the letter of the law, but I was doing that on the side, and they didn't even like it that I was doing it on the side, and they were just like, you know, don't ever do that here. But I could see that what I was doing was like light years ahead of what was being offered in the systems, in the mental health system. And I don't mean to be critical because I know that a lot of good people doing good things, but I could see it was light years ahead. And why would you want to do something that was never going to work or that would take 20 years when you could do something in three or four sessions or in six months or a year, a person's life could be transformed. And mm. all those quote, folks that can't get better do. And, uh, now, at this, at this yeah. point, were, had you gone through um, your experience that took you from Linda to, to Star Wolf, or, or was this still leading up to it? It, it was leading up to it. I had just started doing breast work. I was um, studying with a, a Cherokee teacher at the time. Um, she was leading me on inner journeys. And, um, you know, we were doing uh, a lot of sweat lodges alone at night. 
together, and there were a lot of different ceremonies and things that she was doing with me that was really taking me into more deeper healing. And at the same time, I was doing breath work with, uh, I started out with Stan Groff and Christina Groff and um, with holotropic breath work, and Jacqueline Small, who was my main teacher, and then had moved into mainly working with Jacqueline with the integrative breath work. And so I had become one of the lead breathwork teachers with the Psyche Institute. I was in my mid-30s. And, you know, it was at this time, you can imagine how conflicted I was. I was still working in the system, working in treatment centers for addiction, working in the mental health system, and doing, you know, maybe one breathwork weekend a month with a group of people and then going and working with the Psyche Institute several times a year for a week at a time. And I'm watching the radical difference in healing and transformation. And it grieves me deeply. It really grieves my heart to know that I could not take this to individuals um, within this system. Otherwise, I would either be called unprofessional or flaky, or depending on the community, it would be, you know, that I was, uh, actually bad, that I was doing something wrong, that I was, um, you know, wasn't um, Christian. So um, it was very conflicting for me, and so I just continued to do what I'd always done, and that is, um, you know, be sneaky. And, and um, I hate to say it, it was just the truth. I I would just, you know, um, I, I learned how to modify it enough and not call it, um, you know, shamanic work or breath work or those kind of things and just say, we're going to do an exercise where I want you to close your eyes and just take some deep breaths and then, you know, I'm going to put a little music while you're doing that and just see what comes up for you if you feel like crying or if you get a, you know, sometimes you might even have an image of something that comes. That can be important. And, and then afterwards we're going to do some drawing and I have some art supplies and then we're going to talk about that, you know. And I was able to kind of get away with that for a while. And then finally, at one point, it just got to a point where, believe it or not, I mean, this, like I said, this is this is over 25 years ago. I actually got phone calls of people threatening me if I continued to do that thing in the community that I lived in. And really? Now, where were you at that point? I was in western Kentucky. I'm, and um, I mentioned it in my book a little bit, but... Um, um, the, the several of the churches in the area decided that I was an agent of the devil. So it's sort of a throwback to when you were in sixth grade or a youngster. <laughs> it, it's been a pattern. It's been a pattern, and I was shocked. And at the time, I was still fairly innocent, and, you know, I in that I still really cared and wanted people to love me and, and wanted them to like me and wanted them to know that I was doing good and, and that people were getting better and, you know, um, you know I helped this one woman who had been on all kind of medications and that made her sick for years and years and years because of her depression. She was suicidal. And I got her to start drumming because I understood that the drumming could change the brain waves. And she stopped taking the medications and she was just drumming every day. And the, she went to see the psychiatrist, and she said, you know, I've stopped taking the medications. I'm just drumming. And he's like, well, that doesn't work. And she's like, well, I haven't. She said, I've been lying to you. I haven't been taking the medication for over a year. But she said, I didn't want, you know, to um, get in trouble. So she said, I just get the prescription. I don't fill it. 
things like that, you know. And but that threatened the psychiatrist, you know. Uh, it's like what you're, you've got people drumming and you're taking them off of medication. That's dangerous. And How we all know. That? <laughs> I know, and, and we all know in this country. Anybody that you know reads and pays attention, that the number one. Do you know the number one? Re, um, I just read this in the paper. The number one thing that people show up in emergency rooms today from what prescription drug overdose. Well, that doesn't surprise number, me. It is the number one thing that people are a reason that people are seen in the emergency room today all over the entire United States is prescription drug overdose, accidental. Yeah. So it's not even people, you know, you know, blatantly abusing. It's it's you know right. I mean maybe right. they are, but you know what I'm saying? It can't be everybody. It's so um so when you know, but yet they were afraid that drumming was dangerous and of the devil. So, you know, this got old for me after a while, and Matthew Fox, you know, who I dearly love, you know, who is the rebel theologian who's written so many wonderful works, and mm-hmm. um, Matthew Fox uh, re- wrote a book many years ago called Reinventing Work, and he said, basically, change the system as much as you possibly can by being yourself 100%, and if you can't change it from within, then get out and change it from without. And I feel like that's what I did. I feel like I really um, worked in the system. I met a lot of wonderful people um, who were seeking services. I also met a lot of wonderful people who were offering services to others and, did, you know, were coming from their hearts and were great people. So I'm, I sound, in some ways I feel like I'm just totally knocking the system tonight, but I'm not. I'm just, you know, there's there's good and bad with everything. And, um but it was just very, very limiting. And when you found out that there's something, you know, it's um, like eating fast food or going to Whole Foods, it's that kind of difference. You know, both will nourish you somewhat and keep you alive, but one's going to actually help you grow and your brain chemistry be better and your, you know, um, you can move on to, to bigger and better uh, places in your life. And so when I finally made that shift is when I met, Grandma Twyla, and um, so in my mid mid to late 30s, I met Grandma Twyla Nitch, a Seneca Wolf Clan grandmother, and um, I met her in a dream and a vision first, and she came to me and gave me my name and basically challenged me to find her, and um, it took me a few years to find her, and when I did find her, the first thing she said to me is, uh, what took you so long? And I said, well, it would, have, it would have helped if you had given me your name and tell me where you lived. And then she, said, but, she said, but that's the test. She said, um, you know, you have to use your wookie nose and ears and eyes and be a visionary if you want to be my granddaughter. And mm. so I became an adopted granddaughter for Grandmother Twyla. And um, that at that point, my whole life changed. It was I knew that I couldn't stay in the system anymore because... The um, the I don't want to call it the supernatural world. I just want to call it the um, the real world, the mystical world, the real world. The veils really parted for me, and I just I I remember making the decision to step through that, and because I knew once I stepped through that I would never go back. And at that point, I just stepped through the veils, and I haven't been back. 
the only time I've been back, you know, they say if you really want to um, um, change the system, quit it, and then let them hire you as a consultant. <laughs> and that has happened <laughs> a few times that I've been able to actually go back into a mental health system and a treatment center and take breath work and uh, do sweat lodges or build medicine wheels or uh, teach ceremonies because now I was um, somehow outside of the system. I wasn't, um, you know, they didn't have to be responsible for me anymore. Right. Now, your main area of focus and um, expertise, is it, with the shamanic breath work? Yes, it is. And the shamanic breath work, um, can I say something about that? It's yeah, yeah. I want breath I want you to bring us, because there will be people listening to this broadcast that, you know, shamanic breath work doesn't mean a lot. And so I want you right. to really bring us into that world. Okay, great. Well, I wrote a book two years ago uh, called Shamanic Breath Work, Journeying Beyond the Limits of the Self. And um, that was my fourth book. And um, I've written, uh, I've co-authored um, three books with Inner, through Inner Traditions Bear and Company, which a lot of people are familiar with. And um, then The Breathwork is my book. And I have another book coming out in December from Bear and Company called Visionary Shamanism, Activating um, the Imaginal Cells of the Human Energy Field. And I just signed a contract, actually, for another book on the insect medicine wheel that will come out next year, uh, or, uh, yes, next year on um, the different creatures for medicine wheel that are the pollinators, transformers, weavers, and recyclers, which are the, you know, sometimes you think of the bigger animals, the, ant, the bear and things like this. So it's really around insects and that sort of thing, and I'm co-authoring that book as well. But with shamanic breath work, um, it really is my baby. And um, it's not just breath work. That's why I call it the shamanic breath work journey or shamanic breath work process. And it involves many different components. I have been doing breath work for a long time. A lot of people have done breath work through meditation, yoga, qigong, you know, lots of different things, through creative visualization, through rebirthing. And I've done all of those things and also through the holotropic and the integrative breathwork um, that I studied. But the emphasis for me with the shamanic breathwork is acknowledging that we're moving into a new era. And you, I know that this is very much your work and what you teach and what um, the people that you interview um, are talking about, this new paradigm that we're entering, that this really is our time, that this is the time that we've been waiting for. And we are the ones that we've been waiting for. But how do we how do we wake that part of ourselves up? How do we get there? And see, I really believe what my grandmother taught me as a child, and I really believe what Grandmother Twyla reminded me of, because she was very much like my natural grandmother when um, that I rediscovered. And that is is that there is an inner wisdom keeper, and that we are born with that. Many people really don't know that. They think they have to learn something. And learning is really about, Grandmother Twyla always taught me this, learning is really about remembering. And what we are remembering is who, who we really are and what our birthright really is. And what Grandma Twyla taught me is, is that we are all native to this earth. And I know sometimes the Native Americans, and I don't blame them, get very upset about people 
they feel maybe taking their rituals and things like that. But the reality is is that sweat lodges and medicine wheels and dancing and trance dancing and drumming and movement and breath and music has been around from the beginning of time. And whether it's the Celtic or the Native American or the Aboriginal um, or the European um, people who were um, in their own lodges or their own um, working their ceremonies, the Druids, all of these powerful ceremonies and um, uh, spiritual paths and, and spiritual tools um, have, you know, have belonged to the people of the earth. We are all native to the earth. And so what I started to do was gather the streams, if you will, of shamanic healing and bringing them into the breathwork. For instance, to me, the music is very, very important because the music awakens the chakras and the Ancient people knew that with sound and music healing, whether it's drumming, rattling, chanting, toning, uh, whether it's um, music that's very tribal or music that's very like the Native American flute or I just came back from the Andes like the the, the pan pipes and, and flutes and those sort of things. So all of these pieces of music I started collecting and orchestrating musical journeys for people to do breathing by. In addition mm-hmm. to that, and 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 also to to put it in alignment with the chakras so that you start out in a very tribal way until it goes um, to what I call uh, the music of the heart. It might be piano or cello or violin and then move into very celestial music at the end uh, or what we term new age music and then to drop back down in the heart as we're ending. I also use the drum um, and taking people into the journey, much like when you do um, shamanic journeying, um, like people have taught at the um, Shamanic Studies um, Institute. So I brought that piece in of drumming in the beginning with a, a drum and taking people into a meditation and an invocation in the beginning that is in alignment to the heartbeat of the drum. Then when the music comes on, they start breathing. They go into their own journey, and sometimes, depending on the group, it could be 15 minutes. Most of the time, most of the journeys are anywhere from an hour to two hours if we have a you know a whole workshop that we're able to do at a time. So people go into very profound, natural altered states. Now, I've worked with a lot of people. I myself have not done psychedelics, including plant medicine, um, since I was in my 20s. It's, mm-hmm. you know, I got... I've been so open, I honestly do not need it. And the breath work, um, we have many, many people who do altered states through, um, you know, meditating for hours at a time or they've done plant medicine or experimentation and other ways to go into altered states, isolation tanks, various things. But I have had almost everyone that I've ever worked with who have done a shamanic breath work intensive have said, that it's the most profound altered state they've ever reached. And at the same time, they're natural because it's coming from your own body, your own brain chemistry, through altering the breath, through the music, through the entrainment um, that happens, and profound things happen for people. People, and I'm not going to go into all this right now, it's all in my book, but I write about um, a myriad of, altered states that people reach, everything from going back to 
being in the womb to gestation to birthing, actually rebirthing and become very small um, and regressed in that way and, and healing birth trauma. That's a very big thing that happens that just does not happen in the world of mental health. I've had people who've had very serious addictions and they've tried many things from treatment to all kinds of things they've tried that got up from the breathwork floor and, you know, kind of threw the crutches away, basically. Um, other people, it took them a while of doing several se- excuse me, several sessions before they were able to uh, let go of substances because they, re- you know, I call it replacing it, um, uh, substances that people become addicted to. And that can be anything from, you know, sugar to, you know, heroin. But whatever a person's addicted to, um, their brain chemistry changes and the compulsion is there and they cannot stop. And so I understand this, you know, from my own experience, but also from working with people for so long. And, you know, their brain chemistry changes in breath work. And there is a whole way that people have um, a spiritual experience that gives them a bigger story, a bigger picture. I've often worked with scientists or um, um, people a lot of times, sometimes that come from a field where you know, mysticism is really foreign to them. And that's why they seek the breath work out. They want to see if there's something, you know, if it's all just, um, you know, uh, a fantasy or um, some rhetoric and, you know, that sort of thing. And they'll get up from that experience and they'll say, this is the most amazing experience I've ever had. I've worked with um, veterans who've had PTSD and who can't feel their feelings or the only feeling they can feel is anger and fear. And they just weep and work through uh, their trauma and come back out. And in fact, right now, I'm working on a screenplay with my editor and with a um, a veteran who also, also happens to be an attorney um, who totally, really healed himself through this process. And we're working on a screenplay right now around this and about using alternative methods um, to bring people back because, like you said, the veterans come home, but the war comes home with them. They they never come home from the war unless they do something. Uh, as he said, um, war is an extreme thing and you need an extreme measure to heal it. And so, you know, the typical, you know, things that happen for veterans does not heal their trauma and does not bring them home. So the breathwork, shamanic breathwork experience involves breathing, music, art, processing, soul return, uh, which is similar to soul retrieval, ceremonies, rituals, um, and can be modified for everything. I've done a full-on breath work in, um, at a book talk at Barnes & Noble um, with the speakers <laughs> blaring, uh, with people sitting in chairs and having them close their eyes um, to, you know, um, breathing people out, laying down beside the ocean in Greece, um, to um, being in the woods, being on top of the mountains. We just did breath work in Peru in the Sacred Valley two weeks ago, um, about an hour from Machu Picchu. You mm. know, so I breathe, I breathed a bunch of corporate women in Maui um, who didn't know what it was and who came uh, to the workshop in their bathing suits with suntan oil on, thinking they were going to sit and get a tan and learn how to meditate. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's... um. Uh, anyway, but breathwork um, has really radically changed my life and so many people's lives 
that um, I guess you could say that I'm a bit of a zealot about it. And, um, you know, I say to people, you know, 25, 25 or 30 years ago, if you were in New York City and you looked up yoga, something maybe 30 years ago, you looked up yoga um, in the yellow pages, the only thing that was in there was something, and this was kind of radical, it was about yogurt. And now everyone knows what yoga is. Um, 25 years ago, nobody knew. I remember when people first started talking about Reiki, nobody knew what it was. Even in western Kentucky, in the little town I grew up in, my mother, who's 81, told me that they're offering Reiki at the local hospital. The nurses are now. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, they would have been uh, devil worshippers 25 years ago, you know. Right. So things are definitely changing. So I, you know, my dream and my goal is to bring shamanic breathwork um, to as many people as I possibly can, which brings me to one other thing that I want to say, speak before I forget, is that something that we started last year, because I've been training breathwork facilitators for 25 years, and um, through different types of breathwork, but for 14 years with shamanic breathwork. So we have breathwork facilitators in uh um, Bermuda, they, they're breeding there every month. Um, we've got them in Australia, um, in Europe, in Alaska, Hawaii, all across the United States. Uh, we have a whole group of people getting ready to graduate in Sedona in September as shamanic breathwork facilitators um, and shamanic ministers from our organization. And now how long is that program? How long the, is that program? The, the shamanic breathwork training? Mm-hmm. Is that what you're asking? Uh huh. Yeah, it depends. Yeah. If, if, okay, we have we have different mo- modalities. We have a month long accelerated program for professionals or people who qualify who can come and be with us for a month and go through the intensive training to become ordained as a shamanic minister. So you have a legal shang- shingle to do your work under, and as a shamanic breathwork facilitator. But you have to register and be qualified and interviewed and be. Um, you know, you have to know about healing and, and already be involved in some way in healing and um, to be qualified for that program. If you're not, if you're a new person into the program, we started what we called the Sedona model, actually, which is five, seven days over a year. And the last one is in September. And you can, you can come in at any time. You don't have to come in at the beginning. But you do have to take all five modules of the seven days. So our um, last one in this um, year-long program is in September, and um, right when we finish with that group, we're offering a the next day at the Sedona uh, Creative Life Center. Is that the name of mm-hmm. it? Lovely yeah, the Creative venue. Uh, Yeah. And the lady who actually started that years and years ago, who's passed on to the other side now, did breathwork with me 20-something years ago. Oh, my and gosh. Loved, loved breathwork long before she started that center. And, um, I put, you know, several years before she passed, and I was talking to her on the phone, she said, I don't think I ever told you this. She said, but the breathwork was an inspiration for me. And she said it was something, I'd always wanted to do something like this and have a center like this. And after I did the breathwork with you, I made the definite decision to find a place and start a center. And so that was something I didn't find out for several years after she'd already started it. And that's the great thing is to, you know, find out things like that years later. 
But anyway, so it's kind of a little bit of a homecoming for me. Shirley's passed on, but her beautiful center is there. And we're going to go and do a full day of breath work called Breathe America, Breathe Sedona. And it's an absolutely free event for the first, I think we can take 75 people. So it's a free day, and all the new breathwork facilitators will be there, myself and my husband and some others. And people um, will get an opportunity to have a full day of shamanic breathwork. Oh, wow, that's awesome that you're you're giving back like that to the community. I love that. Well, you know, there's so many, you know, I have to just say this. Breathwork, basically, uh, for the last 20 years of my life, has supported me financially. I have made a, a good living on doing the, my vocation. So is my husband. So has all the people who work on our staff. Um, we're now a university out of North Carolina. We're Venus Rising University. We're also now our 501c3, Shemont, and we are actually registered with the IRS as an ordainment board for shamanic ministers, the only one that I know of that's actually legally um, registered with the IRS. And that we are that we ordain shamanic ministers and create other congregations. That just happened in 2007. So we have over 100 ministers, and we have five congregations, and we're birthing five more this year. We have one in Portland, and in Minneapolis, and Florida, uh, in North Carolina, um, in Iowa. Believe it or not, uh, we have more that are birthing in uh, one in Sedona, maybe two in Sedona. Um, so anyway, there's a lot of things you can hear that's going on. So the congregation leaders, are I've asked them all to be willing to once or twice a year to do exactly what I'm doing, and that is to offer Breathe America and then their town. For instance, the people in Portland did one, and Portland, Oregon did Breathe America, Breathe Portland, and breathed over 110 people in one day. Uh, at Isis Cove, we did one last year and breathed about 125 people in one day. And we're doing, wow. uh, for those pe- people who can't make it to Sedona, we're doing one at Isis Cove in September. Uh, and we'll take 100 people. So we're trying to breathe as many people for free as we can. Um, you know, like I said, a lot of us make our living on this. And this really is our way of giving back because we know how much this has changed our lives. And at this time, with everything that's happening and um, this being the time we're here for, I would like to encourage everyone that hears this interview, whatever it is you're doing, whether it's Reiki, massage, um, working with essences, uh, healing touch, offering readings, working with oracles, breath work, whatever it is that you do, to take at least one weekend or one day out of your year to dedicate that day to working that day with as many people as you can for free. And, um, Mm. you know... I'm doing several, you know, I'm, I'm making appearances at a lot of these places, so I'm doing a lot of it, uh, just showing up. Um, but a lot of them are happening without me, which is even better. So, but we will be, my husband and I and, and a lot of us will be at the one in Sedona, and that'll be great because we'll have all the facilitators there who just graduated, and they're excited to be offering this in their community and really kicking breath, our, uh, shamanic breath work off in Sedona. Oh, I just think that's great. You know, I spent nine years in Sedona, and, of course, that's how you were guided to me as a mutual friend that we have in Sedona, and so yeah. I love hearing about this. Now, I know Ilya has a question for you. Ilya, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, hi, Starwolf. Um, just listening hi. to your story um, has 
inspired me and I'm sure uh, has inspired uh, many people. Now, I was wondering if uh, you could possibly take us uh, through um, a sh- the shamanic breathwork process that you do. I'll be if, the first. If you can, yeah, if, I can't, if you can do I, like a, I, yes, I, uh, a mini thing, yeah, that would be awesome. I really can. <laughs> this will be a first. Um, I've taken people, uh, I've, I've done a ton of uh, radio and television interviews, and I've actually, and I was, um, did, you know, New Reality TV in New York, and, um, but anyway, and several radio shows, but, and I've done, um, um, I guess you could say meditation journeys and guided journeys, because I also do a, a big process with the Shamanic Egyptian Mysteries with my co-author, Nikki Scully, who a lot of people know, and uh, so Nikki and I have done a, a lot of uh, Egyptian journeys and healings and rituals and ceremonies um, from the books that we've written on Shamanic Mysteries and the Anubis Oracle, um, but I haven't actually done a rough work over um, um, radio, but we can do about five minutes of that if you would like. Is that too much? Absolutely. I think that sounds great. You know, we're all about uh, the experience, and so um, oh, this great. is exciting. Oh, great. Well, a very a first right here on your <laughs> program. So I'm, I'm just looking at my classes to see where we are. Okay. And um, so I'll have to do some modification, but I, the first thing I'd like to say is if someone happens to be operating machinery like a car or uh, something like that, you would need to not listen very closely to this part. And I also say that when I do meditations because and when I was doing a radio interview in San Francisco, and I said, close your eyes, and the, the um, interviewer said, you need to remind them that they're driving not to close their cars because they may you know, be just do what you tell them. So I said, okay, if you're driving, pull your car over, put it in park, crack your window so you don't get fumes. And, um, you know, and uh, take a deep breath. And so that's what I'm saying now, that if someone is listening to the radio that's driving or something, if you can pull over and stop, please do that. And if you can't, perhaps you can come in and tune in to this as it's archived and listen to it at a later time. So let's all begin by taking a deep breath all the way in and exhaling fully. And as you do this, this is just beginning to relax a little bit and open up your chest and your heart. This is not the breathwork breath. And when we do the breathwork, we will actually speed the breath up into a rhythmic breath that will sound more like this, like deep, full, rhythmic breathing until you're surprised, until something is happening, until you're not even thinking about breathing anymore. But for right now, just a few cleansing breaths like you were waking up and stretching. And and just let anything move away from you right now and out of your energy field. This conscious intention of moving anything out of your energy field that you don't wish to have there right now. And if you were in a circle and we were sitting together, what we would do right now, and I'm just going to energetically do this because you can always do something in a homeopathic way, and I can light some sage. And in lighting that sage, I can send the essence of that through everyone who's listening right now. 
So we would smudge you at this point, and that sage would come into your energy field, and we would use a feather fan, and you would let anything go into that smoke and disappear into the smoke and disappear into the other world, into great mystery, into great spirit, to creator, so that you don't have to carry anything you don't want, any distraction into your Mm -hmm. journey. And once you've carried that in, again, taking a breath into the heart, I ask people to soften up their bodies because often people's bodies are tense. They've been driving. They've been they've been on their computer. They've been tending to things, pushing the energy. So take a breath in and just intentionally soften every part of your body. And if I had my drum here, I would be drumming. And it would be sounding a heartbeat right now. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. And your heart would automatically, science has shown us that this happens, we begin to entrain with the heartbeat. And that heartbeat rhythm that we we be playing would be the same beat of the heartbeat of the earth itself. The earth has a rhythm and a heartbeat. comes up through the center and the core of the earth to the crystal iron core through all the levels and layers of minerals all the way up to the surface where our bodies are touching and our hearts begin to be in alignment with the earth. And I also believe and know that the universe has a heartbeat, the stars and all the galaxies. And imagine that that those energies also are beating at the same resonance as Mother Earth. And the whole universe is beating with our heart and all hearts of all living beings, creatures, the standing people, the trees, the creatures that swim, fly, crawl and walk. And as we soften now, you get an opportunity to imagine around you a golden circle of light. Grandma Twyla called this your sacred boundary. This really is your Merkaba. This is your own little, if you will, spaceship. And you're safe within it. And you're preparing to take off and go wherever you need to go, to any level of consciousness, past lives, connecting with spirit guides and helpers. Some people connect with ETs. Some people become an animal, shapeshift. Or going back into something in your childhood that's been traumatic for you, or even a past life, a traumatic event, or a pleasant event, going into the womb, going into a very sensorial place of feeling, touch, sound, and sight where things are altered. There may be something that's troubling you in your present life right here in this world, in the middle world. Right here in this world. In the Peruvian world, they call it the Kayapacha. You might go into the upper world, the Hanapacha, or the underworld, the Ukulapacha. But wherever you go will be sacred and perfect for you or your journey for your soul, for your spirit, for your human. 
And as you're ready, call in whatever is sacred to you to join you in your sacred circle. Perhaps the hawk or the wolf. Perhaps Merlin or Yeshua, Jesus, Isis. Perhaps some guy that's very personal just to you. Even someone that's passed to the other side, perhaps a grandmother or grandfather. And surround yourself with your protection and your love and your shamanic guides to support you. And when you're ready, at this point, if I had the music to play for you, I would be playing the drums very intensely. And as the drums started, perhaps Baba Olatunji music, master from the past who's passed on to the other side from Africa, this music would be playing perhaps thunder drums, and you would begin to breathe now more deeply, breathing in. This is the time to breathe in and out, and in and out, and keep a breathing of an arc of the breath. Breathe in through your nose if you can, and out with your mouth. And if you just need to do mouth breathing, that's okay. Your nose is stopped up or you have sinus problems. But keep breathing, breathing, filling yourself up with the sacred breath. And imagine that you can hear the pounding of the African drum or Native American drum. Maybe you could hear the sound of the the sun dancers drumming for the Sundance Lodge. Or you could hear the hoofs of the buffalo pounding across the prairie, making the drumming sound. Breathing and breathing. Keep breathing. Let yourself go and let yourself travel to wherever you need to. Take a moment to do that. As you're breathing, notice your body feeling more expanded, perhaps tingly. Keep the breath going. Notice any place in your body where you feel tension or energy or sensation. As you continue breathing, notice if there's anything that comes into your mind, a thought, a feeling. People sometimes start crying or laughing. Sometimes anger comes up or frustration. Sometimes anticipation, excitement. Feel the energy moving. Keep breathing. Don't be afraid of the breath. The breath is the in and outpouring of the creator itself. Creating us with each out-breath and taking us back in with each in-breath. 
breathing, perhaps take a moment to notice if there's an image of any kind or a symbol or a person or thing or a place that comes to you. Whatever it comes, don't judge it. Don't analyze it. Let's follow it with the breath. Keep breathing into it. Sometimes a guide will take you on a journey. Keep breathing. Fill yourself up and exhale fully. Let go. Perhaps there's some answer that you've been seeking to some difficult situation. May that answer come to you now. Perhaps there's someone that needs your forgiveness or that you need to be in touch with. Let their face come to you now. Perhaps there's some part of the world that's in trauma. All the things that have been happening, Haiti, Japan, all kinds of places, Warriors, civilians, starvation, drought. Perhaps there's someone or someone or some land that's being clear-cut or mined or polluted that needs your blessing, that needs your energy. Breathe. And exhale fully and allow some part of you to send some healing from your own heart, from your own energy field to bless and heal. Perhaps you have some illness, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, something that's going on, an addiction perhaps, or maybe you've been told you have a terminal illness. Go into that, breathe into that, and know that your breath can heal you that your breath is the breath of the Creator and all things are possible. Breathe healing breath into the cells and the tissue, the bone and your blood. Breathe it into your chakras and your energy field and activate your energy field into deeper healing. 
and perhaps you're seeking a deeper spiritual connection with your own relationship to the universe, to higher power or greater power, to God, goddess, as you understand it. Breathe deeply and open your heart and allow yourself to feel a connection with the divine. Allow the divine to open up your visionary abilities, your higher chakras, And as the divine opens up your ability to truly be a visionary and to open up your shamanic centers within your psyche and your human energy field, allow your DNA to be activated. Breathe into your DNA. And know there is DNA beyond human DNA. There is a spiritual blueprint that supersedes because matter follows energy or spirit. And let that activation begin in your imaginal cells, in your imaginal DNA is activated now. And your future self is finding its way into your human cells and human DNA. All places, all things, all healing, all wisdom is available to you now. The Akashic Records are totally open for those who might be journeying there right now. Keep breathing. And as you finish receiving your activations, your visions, allow yourself to begin to slow your breath now. Beginning to return your breath gently. To an easy breath and take a few more seconds to just integrate anything that came to you. Bring it back with you. Bring it back with your conscious mind. There's anything that really stands out. You don't have to remember it because it's happened and it's in your DNA. But if you have memory of things that you want to bring back, you can bring it back consciously. And as you begin to gradually come back, you return your breath to normal, or maybe not to normal. Maybe you want to continue to have a deeper breath than you normally do, but you come out of the breathwork breath of rapid, deep, consistent breathing, constant breathing. Feel your body stretch wherever you are. And offer a little gratitude, if you will, to your body and to your sacred breath and to all those beings and things, helpers and guides that love you and support you and support all of us. 
when you're ready, you can open your eyes and come fully back. And if we were there with you at this point, we would be checking with you. Of course, I would have not talked to the whole thing. There would have been music instead. And we would have been walking around. We would have been doing energy work and body work with you if you needed it. If you didn't, we would have just walked by you and checked on you. And after you come back and you've lying, lying there for a little while and listening to some soft music and being gently touched or connected with, that usually takes about 10 or 15 minutes after you've been breathing for an hour or two. Then we would help you do a creative expression around whatever you experience. So I want to advise you that this would be a good time to pull out an art pad and do some art or to do some journaling. It would be a good time to, if you're a potter, to, throw, as I say, throw a pot or to make something with clay. People do masks, do all kinds, collages. Do something to create a, a creative expression of your journey that you can put up mm-hmm. on the wall or sit on the table. Something that you can um, continue to reflect on because it will speak to you. These archetypal energies will continue to speak to you for days and weeks and months to come. So how are you all doing there? (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm very impressed. And I knew, I knew that I would be inspired and impressed by you. Um, And that's exactly what it has been uh, for me tonight on this broadcast. Um, And we're we're nearing the end here, so I want to make sure that that we give you an opportunity to let people know how to find you, anything that's upcoming. Um, Of course, um, I have your phone number, and I'll be calling because I now want to come to North Carolina for a month. I'm so just, I'm so touched by really your entire story. And then, you know, how beautiful. And Ilya, thank you for for stepping up and asking for an experience. And and how beautiful for you to be able to do that with us, Star Wolf. And and to be the first, you know, live um, remote (laughs) uh, experience that you've done. That's very exciting. I'm sure it'll be the first of many now. Oh, I, well, it probably will be. It's pretty exciting to me, too. I love to do new things like this all the time. And so, you know, I would keep telling you all the variety of places, but, you know, this is the first one on the radio. So this is pretty amazing. And um, we do have some wonderful things coming up at Isis Co. Uh, the first weekend of August, we have the Shamanic Ministers Global Network Conference. Begins on Friday and ends on Sunday. You can find all of these events, by the way, on our website. Our website's really easy to find. It's, uh, of course, wshamanicbreathwork.org. And if you forget the org, uh, I think we have like 77,000, you know, if you put in shamanic breathwork, there's like 77,000 links to us now. So you will find us. Our organization is Venus Rising. And that's the higher energies of love, higher energies of love and wisdom. So Venus Rising Association for Transformation. And we also know how the university where people can receive 
PhDs in Shamanic Psycho-Spiritual Studies, um, Master's Degrees in um, 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 Intuitional Studies, and BA Degrees in um, Elemental Studies. And so we also offer a Doctorate of Ministry and Shamanic Minister's Ordainment. So um, people who are interested in becoming ministers, who are already ministers, shamanic ministers, or other kinds, um, who want to know how to work shamanically with people are invited to come to ISOFAR, the conference. And then I'm doing an advanced training for people who are uh, in the healing professions of all kinds um, the week immediately following that, Monday through Friday. And I very seldom uh, teach anymore, meaning I teach uh, pieces and segments of workshops but this particular workshop I'm teaching every day. And um, my staff teaches most of uh, the workshops now, and except I come in and, and do, you know, pieces. But for this one, in the advanced, advanced training, I'm teaching the entire thing. In the um, month, uh, well, we'll be in September, in uh, Sedona in September. I don't have the exact date right here, but we will be there um, doing a week long at the Sedona Sanctuary. Out, right, It's actually in Cornville, right outside of Sedona a beautiful alternative healing center that um, um, a couple has created there. It's just incredible. It's beautiful. Um, and that's where we've been holding our training there. So you can come to that for training, or you can just come because you want to come to a week long and experience breath work and experience the healing. Um, and then the day after that, we have Breathe America. So please go on the website if you want to experience this work for free for a day. And there's um, been in October of this year, and I'll stop there, uh, October at Isis Cove, I believe it's October 23rd, but again, you can go on our website. We have so many events, it's hard for me to keep up the dates. But you can well, go on and find our month-long event. We will make sure that people get to your website. We're just on the tail end right now, uh, just the last few seconds of the show. I want to thank you very much. Uh, for being here, Ilya, would you like to say something before we sign off? Absolutely. I would just like to thank uh, you, Dr. Dream, and uh, you, Starwolf, for doing such amazing work uh, for the planet and for all of us and everybody that's listening. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we love you all. Oh, we love you, too, and thank you. Thank you for thank you. having me on this evening. It has been uh, fabulous for for us, and we really uh, we really appreciate um, you taking the time to be here. Um, I'll get you the link of um, the recording, so so you can pass that along. And um, we have another exciting broadcast next Tuesday night. Dream Reality New Earth Radio. Uh, find us here, and um, I think that's it. We're just sending lots of love out, and and. Uh, in the next week, make sure uh, you find those opportunities, everyone, to, to share love with all those around you. Thank you so much, and um, just tremendous grat gratitude. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Thank you all. Sweet dreams, everyone.